Well, hey, and welcome to episode 32 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and we're so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss the blessing and encouragement that comes from biblical community. And we talk about how we can be hardened not only by our sin, but also by our legalism. As always, if you've not yet listened to the message from Sunday, I do encourage you to pause here, go back and do so before continuing on in this episode as it's going to help this conversation make a lot more sense to you. All right, without further ado, we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey guys, good morning. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. I think I spoke too soon last week. About the weather? About the weather. I think so too. I got braggy. Yep. And I feel like it's, there's snow reported for Wednesday. There is snow again. Of course it's Wednesday Wednesday too. It would be. Yeah, it would be. Hey, how was uh, spring break for you guys? Good. Yeah? Yeah. Over the last few years. Excuse me. Over the last few years, uh, we've had a family tradition of doing a ski trip over spring break. So nice. last couple of years, we went up to Purgatory. This year, we went up to Brian Head. Brian Head, by the way. It's not Brian's Head. So just throwing that out there. I kept wanting to call it Brian's Head. And Did you get corrected on that? No. Oh, I, okay. I corrected myself. I got you. But I sound like the old person who can't say anything but the Walmarts. Cincinnati. <laughs> Cincinnati. <laughs> so, so we went up to Brian Head, and they had just a ton of snow. So first couple of days was good. The last day, it was so much snow. So I wear what's called snow blades. That's what I've been skiing on for 20 years. And they're short, so they're three and a half feet And so they're pretty short. They're a little wide, about six inches wide, and they're great. They're easy to turn, easy to control. They don't weigh down on my legs as much. So I like them, and they're great for groomed trails or hard-packed snow. They stink in powder. So we had, it just snowed the whole time. We had like two feet of powder snow that happened while we were there. And so. Which is like most skiers stream. Yes. But not when you've got snow blades on. Correct. And so all of the snowboarders loved it because they have a lot of surface area and they're just crushing it. And I feel like I'm in snowshoes just trying to make it down (laughs) the hill. And it was, yeah. So the last day I just, I quit a couple hours early. I'm like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I biffed it and I'm like, I'm out. But the first couple of days were great. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We had a good time. We, uh, called a spring training game. What day was that? Tuesday, Josh? Tuesday night. Me, you and, uh, our, our kids, pastor Corey, grabbed the boys and and went down and watched a game. Uh, actually, in the town that I lived in, in Phoenix, which was fun for me, it was a field that I played baseball on uh, when I was uh, a kid. We would do our um, like Little League Championship Series on the, uh, on the uh, spring training fields there uh, all across Phoenix. So it was cool to be back there and, and catch a game. We had a good time. Um, Reds won. In yeah, they did. The eighth <laughs> inning, uh, you know, it's because it's spring training. Hey man, we still inning. have hope. <laughs> no, Let you don't go. have hope. I, I, <laughs> I gave up right on now. the Reds in '93. They they are always great until April. Yeah, <laughs> and then they're out. 
And to be fair, it was uh, a game against the Royals. So that is true. <laughs> I don't really know. That is very true. <laughs> but they still won. That is very true. Um, but then, Josh, tell us what you decided to do after that game. Yeah. So I was kicking around this crazy idea of going to watch Arizona play in the uh, tournament. And there was a good chance I assumed they were going to be. Um, well, let's back up a second. Let's assume that not all of our listeners know what you mean by. Arizona and the tournament. You should. So I know. All right. So the NCAA March Madness tournament is going right going on right now. I am a big fan of the Arizona Wildcats. Um, I, I grew up obviously in the Valley, and so I had to pick a team. And Arizona was so much better than Arizona State. So I've been bear down Wildcats uh, since I was probably nine or ten years old. So they're a college basketball team, which was great. Just FYI, I moved back to Kentucky in '97. When Arizona beat Kentucky, that was fun. That so was that was, yeah, it was a little hurtful for you, I'm sure. But anyhow, Miles so I was Simon. like, it's spring break. There's a good chance they're going to be in the West bracket or the first round's going to be in Sacramento. And so I looked up Sacramento on my GPS and went 11 hours. Ah, I could do that. I could do 11 hours. I mean, we just did 28 straight from Ohio. What's 11, you know? And I was like, this could be an opportunity for me and the boys to just Go watch a game and see it. So it was like Tuesday morning or Monday morning. I don't know, one of the days I'm laying there. So I rented a car. And so I finally realized, I was like, okay, I'm going to rent a car. And I was like, I still don't know if I'm going to go. I didn't have tickets yet. And Diana was like, you rented a car, you're going. So then I hopped on, found some great seats. We ended up sitting three rows up from the floor behind the basket. Oh, wow. So in the cool. cool thing is you get two games. So we saw Missouri-Utah State, which was a great game. Yeah. And we saw, uh, obviously, Arizona-Princeton, which was a terrible game. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great game, but they lost. With me and the boys got to sit there. Man, it was a really cool experience. I had never been to Northern California. Yeah. So that was fun to drive there. Um, you know, once you kind of get over the mountains, it's a lot greener. And Once you go through Bakersfield. Yeah, it was I did, rough. I did warn you about you Bakersfield. Did. It's it like, was, man, the ride into Bakersfield is not a good time. Wasn't great going through the desert. Yep. It was not awesome. But so that was cool, right? Me and just me and my three boys, we didn't take aim. So it been too yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we went to Sacramento, got to see where the Kings play. So the yeah. boys were excited about that. And again, they were incredible seats. Yeah. Um, and we got to be there for two games. So it was a fun time. So oh, this... Cool. Spring, tr- this spring break was all about sports in our house. There you go. You know, last fall break was about conquering fears. So we did. Oh, so we've right. got We've got yeah. themes. That's yeah. what we're we're going to keep themes. So, yeah. So drove to Sacramento and back in three days. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's good. Uh, not the outcome you wanted. but Now they got beat. It was, I looked at the boys and went, welcome to fandom. <laughs> it was a lot more exciting getting there, right? You're all energized yeah. and excited and ready to go. And then. You're deflated coming home. Yeah, it was uh, was a little upsetting. So the boys now hate Princeton. <laughs> I never want to cheer for them again. That is they're hilarious. done with Princeton. Like every time they come on, they're like boo, and I'm like, that away. That's how you do it. So yeah, man, it's just it's sports. So here's the thing: why how, why are you passing the Arizona piece on to your children? I was instead it. of the Kentucky piece. So this, they grew up in Kentucky. They uh, they lived two years there. Oh, okay. That's, so they were in Louisiana. Yeah. So really, they should be LSU fans, yeah, and they yeah. do like anytime LSU's on, they'll turn it on and watch yeah. it. Yeah. They're just fans. They just yeah. enjoy basketball. They actually watched Kentucky and were pretty heartbroken. They lost. Yeah. My wife randomly is a Kentucky fan. Um. 
So yeah, that is odd. I know it. It hurts. So she's a UC. She went to UC. So she loves the Bearcats. Yeah. But she also cheers for UK. And, yeah. Which is fine. Whatever. It's it's there okay. You go. One thing we can probably all agree on though is that it's a uh, it's a good thing that uh, that Louisville's out. Amen. They didn't even make it. They were four. And Kansas. The and Kansas got beat. Kansas that made my Duke. life better. Duke. Or sorry, no, that's what I meant. Sorry, I was yeah. thinking. I, I was thinking Kansas. Uh, the um, yeah, Kansas yeah. Duke. Louisville wasn't even in it because they were North Carolina. Gutter track. Right, right. North Carolina didn't make it this year. <laughs> so there was a lot of yeah. yeah, there was a lot of blessings, but yeah. yeah. But uh, it was cool. Again, man, memories with your kids. Yeah. Right. You create and go do. They had just as much fun at the baseball with all their little friends. Yeah, that was to, a good time. Trying to get a foul ball. And I was like, I don't think you understand. If foul ball comes over here, it's not like it's a soft hit. Right, they're not tossing it to you. It's no. going to hurt. Yeah. Especially where we were sitting. I was like, man, it's going to it, it's going to get here and get here quick. And so, half you guys can't catch a baseball. So <laughs> that is. <laughs> it's like your older two are in good shape. But man, the rest of them. And they're counting on us to protect them. And I'm just going to duck behind them. <laughs> we did see people from uh, Quad City there. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. did. Yeah. That was, that was a fun time. So, yeah. So, and I got to sit with other Reds fans, and we did. We commiserated that we already know our team is probably not going to be there. But <laughs> we got to see a Hall of Famer. Joey Votto is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So, that was cool trying to like yeah. explain that to the boys. Like, hey, one day you'll say you saw him play. Yeah. Yeah. So, you don't get to say that often. That's good. Yep. Yeah. It was a good time. Good times. Well, let's hey, let's dive into uh, this past Sunday. On Sunday, we were in uh, Romans, uh, beginning of chapter eleven. Um, so we're in Romans chapter eleven, verses one through ten. Um, here in and, and talking a little bit about what Paul has to say um, about the fate of Jerusalem and and himself as a Jew and uh, what that all uh, looks like. So. Jason, great job uh, this past Sunday. Um, again, diving. There was a lot to cover there, especially with some of the Old Testament context we had to we had to dig into in order to understand what it was that Paul was saying. Um, before we dive into any of that, Josh, what um, what stood out to you on Sunday? Um, so when I was sitting there, uh, when you were talking through the Elijah piece, which is such a cool story, mm-hmm. um, which was it First Kings. 19? 19. Yeah. yeah. So just for those of you who maybe don't know where that is, it's First Kings 19. Um, and we talked about this as we planned the sermon. Um, I was thinking through uh, COVID. So 2020, where we were um, in Kentucky, our church shut down for a little bit in the beginning in March. I know it was a little later here. You guys, it was different. But so we all did church online. I think everybody has that experience. Um, First couple of weeks, it was cool. Um, I got to watch a lot of friends and a lot of churches that normally I'm working on Sunday. And then by like week five, six, it was like, I don't like, to, I don't like this. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I was, but I got it, whatever, you know, don't want to make this political. So let, don't go there with me. All right. So, but I remember the very first Sunday we were back. It was a Memorial Day weekend and the church I was at was pretty large campus um that we were going to at the time uh probably 2500 seats in the auditorium and there was only like 250 people there because nobody knew like nobody knew what to expect Uh, nobody knew it i mean there are people who are pretty like at that church had never seen those low of attendance numbers so they were really heartbroken like you could just tell people just were not excited about it and i remember uh, my wife she texted me and i was like it was incredible 
And she was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, I looked down the row and I saw other believers worshiping with me. I had been sitting on my couch for six weeks doing church and thought I was all alone. And it was the reminder that e- there were actually other people who were trying to figure out this faith thing. And they had their kids with them in the row. And they just said, hey, we're, we go to church. That's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. And it's an important thing. So for me, it like raised the level of, no, this is not something that we just attend on Sunday because we're supposed to, but it really, like it energized me to see other believers. Um, And so when you were talking about that, how Elijah's in that cave feeling all alone and God's like, you're not alone, right? I know you can't see it. That was the closest that I felt that. Um, And it was that moment of like, oh, there is other people because in that season, it made it feel like we were all, all over the place, super divided. So that just moment to worship together and take communion together, it was, it was a really cool thing for me. And so that's what I was thinking of just uh, how powerful it is. So when you closed with, man, we're only six days away, I was like, oh man. And so this season is so much more gratitude for church. Hopefully everybody feels that um, just again, because it becomes routine, I think for all of us. So, that's that's what I thought about when I, we talked about the sermon. Yeah, that's really good. Jason, uh, tell us, was there anything as you were going through this message and prepping for it um, that didn't make the message or anything you'd like to elaborate on just a little bit as we um, dig in before we get to some some questions here? Um, not really. I feel like we had a lot of time to be able to, according to Josh, it took too much time to work my way through this. But um no, I think we got pretty much all of it there. Obviously, it would have been fun to have flipped back and read a little bit more in the story of Elijah. That's just such a fun text and um, be able to play on that a little bit. But no, I think everything that, that we wanted to get across in this text, um, we were able to. That verse five is just a huge piece and 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 so we could have probably spent and we probably still could here this idea of being chosen by grace. And if it's by grace, it cannot be by works or grace would no longer be grace. So there is a an easy jumping off point there just to relish in the grace of God, that this is not about us. This is not about our goodness or what we've done or trying to earn something that any of us who are in the faith are in it because of the grace of God. So I don't think we could ever... Um, talk about that piece of our faith too much. Um, we didn't earn this. If we earn it, if there's anything that we've done to to give glory to ourselves for what God has done, then grace is no longer grace. It's God owes me something, um, and and I think we all know that's just dumb to think that that God owes us anything. So uh, we could always. Uh, jump on that piece of grace more. Yeah, that's really good. And that was, um, you know, the one thing that just stuck in my mind was your three points at the end. And that was kind of the first of the points, right? Like if you reckon, like in your life right now, if you recognize Jesus, stop and be thankful. Yep. Like just, just stop, uh, receive that as an act of grace in your life and be grateful. Um, Second of which, right? Like if you feel God moving in your life, whether you know and love Jesus or not at this point, it's like, Hey, don't, don't become hardened to that fact, like act in faith, 
out of that. And then Josh, to your point, that third, the, the third point at the end of the message, when you get discouraged, just remember you're not alone and then drive into groups and specifically these discipleship groups. We've been talking um, just a whole lot about um, because it can be very easy when we're isolated to, to feel that, to feel alone, to be discouraged, to not think we have anyone else on our team or no one else is thinking the way that, that we're thinking or seeing what we're seeing. Um, but the reality is like, if we do surround ourselves with the church that we've been given with these people, we've been given, uh, by the grace of God, um, we know we're not alone. And the enemy wants, he wants us to feel alone. Oh, yeah. He wants you to believe you're the only one that is struggling with whatever you're struggling with. He wants you to think that if you told anybody, they would just leave you on the wayside. Mm-hmm. Like that's the part of the discipleship group is that the hope is that people know all of us and they still keep coming back with us and journeying with us, even though they know all of us. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's what makes us closer, that they do know all of me and they still see me as like, that's really the, that theme of what the gospel is like that. It really, yeah. I, I don't just accept it to save me. I, it is then the power, which enables me to live. It's always the good news that I have to remind myself of. And I know as a culture, as a leadership team, that's been the driving thing since reading uh, that lead book by Paul David Tripp, just it's not just enough to hear the gospel once. It's always reminding ourselves of our need for the gospel, and then we we live that out as followers of of Jesus. So um, that isolation piece, I just think, man, the enemy he just has a field day with that. Um, and it, <clears throat> so you look at this text, and uh, yeah, I think Paul, in a way. He, the enemy was doing it then too, just trying to isolate people off and think you're the only one struggling with it. And he's it, collectively talking to this group of people. I always have to remember and remind myself of that when he's writing these letters, it's to a whole church, mm-hmm. you know, who are in a room together, hearing this together. Mm-hmm. And so we almost do a disservice sometimes. When we Again, I'm not saying we don't read the Bible on our own, but to remember that it's supposed to be read collectively as a group, yeah. you know, it's really important. So, you know, part of the... <clears throat> Excuse me. When when we think about that part of the sermon where I said we're only we should never never be more than six days, like that ought to be like the longest that we should ever be a like six days like should be the maximum ever. The expectation in in scripture is this ongoing relational community, like. That's why this discipleship, I'll have my discipleship group tomorrow morning. It's not, it's, you know, we met together. I shared some time with a a couple of them yesterday in the lobby, and then we'll connect again tomorrow intentionally. So it's not just six days, but that should be the, the, the farthest extent. I think about what did we learn about the book in the book of Acts about the early church? They met together daily in the temple courts. Like they, they were connected all the time. Um, and that should be, we should, we ought to have those reminders, not just on Sunday morning when I'm looking down the row, I, I need to, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship. Like there's this connectedness of the body of Christ. And so there, there should be this ongoing desire to be with the people of God and, and continue to encourage and lift each other up um, so six days ought to be the maximum yeah. ever. Yeah, hundred percent. That's, that's really good. Well, let's dive into a question that came up that kind of goes along with, um, 
the reference you just made to verse five. So, and really this question comes from a place of still wrestling, right? With this idea we've been trying to tackle over the last two chapters, especially, which is this, you know, trying to reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and the, you know, yes and nature of them both within our relationship with Jesus. Um, so here's, here's the question. Uh, first, it just starts by saying great sermon, Jason. Uh, in studying verse seven, uh, where it says the rest were ha- uh, hardened, uh, it is evident that uh, the hardened uh, are not passed over because they were worse, and they the chosen are not chosen because they are better. Otherwise, grace would not be grace, as you referenced in verse five. So since God arranges all reality, meaning his sovereignty, and we experience rebellion and and a hardness against God, our our responsibility, what is the basis for this hardening? That's a deep question. So let me me start um, with the immediate context of Romans 11. So when we talk about specifically... the hardening of Israel that Paul is referencing here in Romans chapter 11. We're told, and we'll talk about this over the next couple of weeks, we're we're told why they're hardened, okay? Um, That they were hardened so that the, here we go, let's look at Romans 11 uh, verse 25. Here's what it says. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. So he's talking to the Gentiles there, and he says, hey, don't get prideful, Gentiles. Israel has experienced a hardening in part, so they were not fully hardened, but there is a in part hardening until the full numbers of the Gentiles has come in. So that was part of it. So part of it, when we think back to Paul's going on all of his missionary journeys, he would go into places like Philippi. He'd go into places like Thessalonica. He'd go into places like Ephesus. And as you watch the model of his ministry, he would always go to the, the synagogue first. He always went to the Jews first with the gospel and tried to share the good news. And then when or when they rejected him, then he would leave the synagogue and go share it with the Gentiles. So that's a piece of what we're talking about here. So you ask the question, why the hardening? Part of it, according to the very context here in Romans 11, they were hardened so that the gospel got to the Gentiles. So there's a short answer. Now, I feel like I do need to do a little bit of historical connection here to remind us of something we talked about back in Romans 9. And that is, never in Scripture do we find someone whose heart is hardened, who does not first harden their own heart. And so we need to put what Paul's talking about here in the New Testament into the context of the history of Israel. So let me give you, I've got like three, okay? I could, uh, I'll give you four, okay? So let me give you four passages to think through when you're thinking about the idea of the hardening of Israel. So uh, go to um, Psalm 95. So we can start there real quick and I'll just read a couple of these. And these would be good if you are interested in your life groups to having a little more conversation about this. 
in, in Psalm 95. Um, this is obviously a Psalm of David. And if you, you look at the end of verse seven, it says this. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at the day of Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and tried me. Though they had seen what I did for 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, these are people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my way. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This was the picture of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, going into the promised land, and they continued to just be obstinate and disobedient. And when God said, here, go take the land, he says, they became, they hardened their hearts toward God and desired to go back to Egypt. And at that point, again, God gave them what they wanted. You don't want to go into the promised land? Fine. You don't get to go in. But he makes this declaration in verse eight, do not harden your hearts. It was It was the people who hardened their hearts toward God and God had opened up this way for them to come into the promised land and they rejected what God had offered and they hardened their hearts. So it wasn't that God hardened their hearts, they hardened their own hearts. Uh, Let's go to Ezekiel chapter three. And this one, um, this is a great one. Let's go Ezekiel three. Again, God is giving Ezekiel, who is his prophet. This is at the beginning of the book of Ezekiel. He gives Ezekiel a prophecy that he wants him to go and to share with the people of Israel. And so let's start in verse four. God then said to me, so that's the he there, son of man, go now to the people of Israel, speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech or strange language, but to the people of Israel. So I'm sending you to your people. There, You don't have to worry about any cross-cultural ministry stuff. These are your people. Not too many people of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. Like if I would have sent you overseas and shared this message, they would have got it. But I'm sending you to your own people. Verse 7. But to the people of Israel... But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid or terrified of them, though they are a rebellious people. God sent Ezekiel to these people and God knew. He says, they aren't going to listen to you because they don't listen to me but I'm going to make you just as hard-headed as they are so that you just keep proclaiming the message even though I know they're not going to listen. So again, this is long before we ever get to the book of Romans, long before we get to the rejection of Jesus the Messiah. God is already looking at the nation of Israel and says, they are hardened. They don't listen to me. I'm trying to send prophets to help them understand, but they don't. Let me give you one more, he's, uh, Isaiah chapter 6. So, um, Josh, a couple of weeks ago when you talked about uh, the missionary message, 
you know, this is the one I always thought of. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? This is like the quintessential sermon for missionaries. But again, I think we take it, we leave out some of the context. So if you're going to understand Isaiah's call in Isaiah chapter six, you actually have to back up and understand what's happening in chapter five. So in Isaiah chapter five, God starts with what's called the song of the vineyard, where he says, look, I gave you everything you needed. I planted you like a vineyard, fertile soil. I dug up the ground. I removed all the stones. I planted the choicest of vines and I expected to see fruit. That's what you do. When you're planting a vineyard, you expect it to produce. He says, I gave you everything you needed, but then I went to look for fruit and there was none. And then he pronounces these woes all through chapter five. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. All throughout chapter chapter five, it says, um, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, the darkness light and the light darkness and bittersweet. Woe to those whose eyes are clever in their own sight. Like you just go through and it's all of these woes about these people who, again, they have rejected what God has called them to. Again, we see in verse 24, for they have rejected the law of Lord Almighty and have spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. And because of that, he says, I'm going to send them into exile. Because of their hardness, because of the rejection of the law, I'm going to send them into exile. That's when we come to chapter six. So God says, Who's going to send our message to these people? And the message is not a good one. The message that he's talking about, when he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The message is, you're going into exile. So Isaiah sticks his hand up and says, I'll go. I'll share the message. And this is where Paul quotes from in Romans 11. He quotes this passage. So go and tell this people. This is Isaiah 6, verse 9. Go tell this people, be ever hearing, never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And Isaiah's like, oh my gosh, that's a terrible message. I don't want to preach that. How long, O Lord, do I have to preach a message like that? And God answers, until the cities lie in ruins without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, there's the remnant, and it will, it will again be laid waste. But as a timbranth and oak leave stumps, when they are cut down, the holy seed will be the stump in the land. There's that remnant piece that's always going to be there. So again, the message was Isaiah goes and preaches the gospel and it just gives them what they've already wanted. They had a hard heart toward the word of God. They would not repent. They would not follow. So God sends Isaiah to preach the message even more that hardens their hearts even more so that they end up getting what they want. And that was taken into exile. So they didn't want to be a part of God. They didn't have to be. They were taken into exile. So again, I just want to make sure that we just remind ourselves again and again God never hardens a heart that is not first hardening itself. And that's what we see with the nation of Israel. I want to give you one last text, uh, almost as a warning to us. 
Okay, and this is where I'll wrap up and then you boys can help me clarify whatever is unhelpful here. You going Hebrews? Hebrews chapter yeah. three. Okay. I knew this is where we were going. <laughs> <laughs> Hebrews chapter three. Okay. This is so important. Hebrews chapter three. Um, we can start, I don't know. Let's start in verse seven. He says, so as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes our passage from, from uh, Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the day of the rebellion, during the times of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and tried me. Though for 40 years, they saw what I did. That was why I was angry with that generation and their hearts were going astray. Their hearts are always going astray. So again, they hardened their hearts first and they have not known my way. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. And so the writer of Hebrews uses that text as a warning for us. And look what he says in verse 12, see to it. So this is our responsibility. See to it. We have a role to play here. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. Like, he, he warns us that, that we, we are responsible. Like, this hardening of the heart, we have a responsibility to make sure that we don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God, that hardens our own hearts towards God, that when we're walking in sin and we're just doing what we do, we're going to end up just like these Israelites whose hearts were hardened before God. When we ignore his voice, we will end up with a hard heart. So he puts in verse 12, he puts the onus of the hard heart on our own actions. Look at verse 13, but encourage one another, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. When we ignore the law of God and we ignore the commands of God and we live our own way, we live in our own sinfulness, that is what ends up hardening our hearts. It's what we saw with the people of Israel and it's what we see in people's lives around us every day, all the time, and it is a warning for us. So again, Last summary statement. I just want to make sure that we're reminded. God did not harden Israel without Israel hardening themselves. They started down this path and God just let them have what they wanted in the end of the day. So what we see in Romans 11, when Paul's talking about the hardening that has talked about uh, in the Jewish people, that hardening happened for hundreds and hundreds of years, all the way back to the Exodus, where the people of God rejected the, the grace of God to even in, enter into the promised land. So this was not something that God did in the first century so that the Gentiles could come in. This was just a pattern that had happened from the beginning of the people of God even coming out of Egypt. Yeah, I was going to, I had two texts too to add. Uh, to that in the New Testament in Acts. So both of them are in Acts. Uh, one is Paul, and we'll get to it. But I want to start with Stephen. So Stephen is, before the Sanhedrin, He's he's been accused of blaspheming God. He stands there, and the high priest is like, hey, 
are these charges true? And then Stephen, who is the first martyr, uh, begins this long dialogue, and he starts with Abraham. And he walks him from Abraham to Joseph and Moses, all the way to Jesus, basically, right, that, that he's coming. And he gets to 51. And so he's looking at who are the keepers of the law, the, all these people. And he, he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through the angels, but have not obeyed it. And so Stephen's like, same way like you're saying, this is, it's not an outsider speaking judgment to the insiders. It's an insider who's saying, we've been doing this forever. Mm-hmm. We are no different than our forefathers who killed prophets. You talked about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of the prophets. Read all the minor prophets. It's all about the people of Israel being disobedient, mm-hmm. not doing what they were supposed to do, right? And so Stephen stands up and says this, and Paul is in this room at this moment. Paul is in there bringing up those same charges, which is just incredible when you think about it, right? And you spoke to that about him being the worst of sinners, that he's in this moment when Stephen is preaching this, and maybe it's in that moment. Things start turning like, because Stephen uses the entire text to get us to Jesus. So then Paul in the end of Acts. I love Acts 28. Paul's in Rome. He's in prison. He's sitting there. And they've finally made it to Rome. He's been trying forever, right? So it's the actually the end of our text. And uh, I love what it says. So starting in verse 23, it says, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and they came in even larger numbers to the place he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke of this truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, and this, that's the text you just read in Isaiah. You will have ears, but never understanding, eyes and never seeing, and all of this stuff. And so Paul literally does the same thing. He's sitting there and he's trying to convince them. And what does it say? That they refuse to believe. And then he made the final statement like, this is what has always been told of and talked about. And then it says, therefore, verse 28, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And they're just like angry. Mm -hmm. And I imagine they storm off. But that is the, like when I think of Israel, right? I read the Old Testament, but then I see two guys who were very much their people. And they have the same accusation that, hey, this is not a surprise to us. Like we, we've ignored it. We, We did the very thing God told us not to do. We did this. We chose to put up the altars. You talked about King Ahab. Like Ahab, they had every king, if you read through Kings and Chronicles, has the chance to remove all of the things. Mm-hmm. And they just don't. Some do. And you're like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do, right? There's Josiah who's like, this is the word of the Lord? Who's been hiding the word of the Lord? I can't, why are we not reading this thing? And so for me, it, it backs up everything you're trying to say is they didn't just 
wake up one day and get here. This was years in really centuries is what you're saying of choices of being disobedient, of just moving further and further and further and further away. And so all the things that God was trying to show them, they missed, right? All day long, I held up my hand to an obstinate people. That's what yeah, Paul and that, said. It reminds me of Jesus standing over Jerusalem. And he says, look, how I long to gather you together. But you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Jesus says, I wanted this. I wanted to gather you together like a, like a hen does her chicks. But you wouldn't have it. And so, again, I just want to make sure that we don't get into our mind that the Israelites were, were longing and loving and serving and wanting nothing more than to obey the word of God. And God said, nah, I'm going to stop you from doing that so that these other people can get in. That is not the biblical picture that we see. Is Again, God never hardens a heart in scripture that does not first harden itself toward him. And eventually it's just this picture of he's giving them over to what they desire. That's what you see in Exodus. That's what you see in Isaiah. That's that's the story. And that's the story for us. And again, that's why this warning in Hebrews chapter three should be taken seriously by all of us. He says, see to it that none of you is given over to this unbelieving, that you don't harden your hearts by sin's deceitfulness. Like you give yourself over to this stuff and you keep walking this path, it will callous your heart toward God. And that is not a path that any of us want to go down. Well, and to your point too, Jason, in the message as you were going through verses five and six, talking about specifically the the works component being something that also is a component that hardens their heart. There is the sin piece, right? But then there's the works piece, which we see all throughout the gospels, all throughout the the interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees. I love... um, Oh, Mark 2 and 3. I was reading Mark 3 yesterday, and I love the interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees when he encounters a man uh, with a, a limb that wasn't quite the way it was a shriveled limb. And he's uh, he essentially asks the Pharisees, hey, it's the Sabbath. Should I heal him or should I not? What is, <laughs> what is sinful, to heal a man on the Sabbath or not to? Uh, mind you, healing on the Sabbath is never a, a command, not healing on the Sabbath, rather, is never a command in the Torah, it's the, the Mishnah, it's all of these other uh, oral and verbal rules that the Jews would place around some of these things to try to, uh, to uphold the law. It wasn't a command in scripture that Jesus was blatantly being disobedient towards. But I think what he was saying, and no, obviously I need to heal him, was, hey, you, in the midst of all of these rules and laws and works that you're surrounding the scriptures with, what you're doing is you're missing the points. Like you are being hardened in the midst of the law that you're trying to follow and you're missing the point of who I am and who I, what I came to be and to do. Um, and I just love, that's what I thought of almost immediately as we were going through this idea of not only sin hardens the hearts of, of those uh, who, who are or are not following Jesus, but also this idea of we can get so heavily invested in our works uh, that trying can, to obtain that righteousness on our own. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Which I'm so very same thing. So grateful that Stephen and Paul and Peter and all the other writers used the Old Testament. We've talked about this. Um they and even you saying the Messiah was Jewish, right? We have this tendency to look down on them and that's the rest of what 11 is coming to. But like I I'm not looking down on them. I I love that we have these pictures of these men taking through the Holy Spirit 
now applying and looking at scripture through the lens of Jesus. It is so helpful for me because I'd be honest, like a part of me goes, oh yeah, I could see that. If I was so focused on so many rules and doing all of these things, and then you come to me and say, I don't, you don't have to do that anymore. And your whole life though, that's all you've done. That's literally all you've known, right? And it's like, no, no, lay that down, right? And so you you understand Paul's anguish, I'm sure, like how hard it was to convince his people that that actually isn't the way anymore. But that's all they knew. And again, I I think you said yesterday in the sermon was so great is they want to be righteous mm-hmm. way more than I ever do. Yep. And so it's it is a oh I see. Oh, that's oh, that's what the prophets were talking about. Oh, and they're not without excuse. They they've made choices that have led them to this place, and they killed the Messiah, like <laughs> the very one that was sent to save them. They completely missed, and so at times I feel much more like I know I'm a Gentile, right? But I would imagine if I was sitting in the seat of the Jew, why do I think I'd be any different? Oh, we wouldn't. <laughs> I, I mean, think like, we're fooling right. we, ourselves. We think we would. Like, oh, I would. I no. would see it. I no, would be would. all for it. I'd right. be like, oh man, I don't. I don't think so. Just like I think we're. I'm listening to the story of Elijah. And I'm like, oh, I'd be one of those seven thousand. And I'm like, maybe today, but the six other days, I was probably bowing the knee. Right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I I think we are really easy to put ourselves on the camp of the of the of the good side. Yeah. And we forget, like, we're just as much as guilty of of all of these things. So I, like you said, I'm much more graceful and hopeful that God's plan with whatever he's going to do ultimately with the Israelites. God's going to, he's got it. Mm-hmm. And he people are still preaching the good news. And that's what our call is to do. And they're using the scriptures. And so I go, okay, I, I just have to leave it at that sometimes. Yeah, that's good. All right, guys, anything else before we sign off for the day? Yeah, don't. Don't leave us here. The story isn't over. Like that's, I, I tried to give a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of the message. Like, yeah, they're out for now, but we're not through Romans 11 yet. So no, there's still true. some more to come that we'll talk through and it'll get a little more confusing. And we're uh, still in the hard news. We're mm-hmm. still in the hard news. So yep. we'll still try to figure this out over the next couple of weeks. So, uh, but let's bring it all the way back to where you started. Like if you are in with Christ today, if you recognize that he is the Messiah, if you want to love and follow and serve him today, just pray a prayer of gratitude because that is the grace of God. You didn't earn that. You weren't smart enough to even go look for it. God sought you out and and put that in your heart by the power of his spirit. So don't harden your hearts. Just be grateful today. That's so good. All right, guys, thanks. We'll chat again real soon. Amen. Well, that is a wrap on episode 32 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We're so grateful that you stuck around with us to the very end. As always, if you have any questions or comments after Sunday's message, we do ask you to join us at quadcity.church slash Romans, where you could submit your questions to be answered right here on the show. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We hope this conversation was of value to you and we'll see you again next time.